Dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat. Dinner is served. Well, hey, everybody. I don't know about you, but for the longest time, I've had this like incongruent feeling about saying Happy Memorial Day. My inclination would be to start this video, Happy Memorial Day, everyone. But when I think about what Memorial Day represents, it just seems incongruent to say Happy Memorial Day because on first blush, Memorial Day means barbecues, a day off, maybe a family weekend, the beginning of summer, get out the pool, <laughs> all those type of things, fight for a parking spot at the beach. But that's not really why Memorial Day was established. Memorial Day, of course, when you think about it, you realize it's it's a day of honoring and remembering those who made the ultimate sacrifice, gave their lives for our freedom. And for anybody who has lost a loved one in a war or because of their service to our country and their protecting our freedoms, Memorial Day has a deep meaning. In fact, it has significance perhaps one of the most significant holidays of all. I wear my Navy gear today because my brother, Scott, my younger brother, 14 years my junior, is a commander in the Navy. I've never served in the military, but my Uncle Gil did. My Uncle Gil was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. And I say was because my Uncle Gil has passed away in recent years from complications of Agent Orange, which he was exposed to in Vietnam. Now, my Uncle Gil was uh, like a childhood superhero to me because when I was young, he came back from Vietnam and he was muscular and he was smart and he was driven and he drove a red convertible Corvette. <laughs> in fact, uh, there's some fun stories about driving around in the Corvette with Uncle Gil. And I was so young at the time that even sitting in the passenger seat, which was okay back in those days, my head wasn't as high as the door and that was the first car I'd ever ridden in that had electronic windows. We'd pull up to a intersection and I would make the windows go up and down and up and down and up and down. But none of the cars on beside Gil could see it. They just saw this guy in his 20s, good looking guy in his Corvette, and the windows going up and down. And I'm sure they thought he was nuts. And my Uncle Gil didn't care. He was just happy to have his nephew riding around in the Corvette. And I just thought he was the coolest guy. And this is before I really understood the sacrifice that my Uncle Gil had made in my defense, in the defense of my country, to secure my freedoms. He volunteered, right? He wasn't drafted, he volunteered to be in the army. He was trained to be a helicopter pilot and because he was skilled and smart and definitely a, a natural born leader, it wasn't long before he was the head of his helicopter squadron. And he rarely talked about those days but I know that it had such an impact on his life because he wouldn't talk about them, right? And he came back from Vietnam full of angst, full of anger, full of PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress syndrome. 
And yet with all of that, he channeled it to become a very successful entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur and, and businessman. And, but why my uncle was my hero to me in those days was because he treated me like a man, even though I was six or seven years old. He took me to Denver and he let me pick out my first suit and took me to his businesses. And he just introduced me as if, if he was, he was so proud of his nephew. And so I felt proud, right? And so he was just this larger than life figure to me. And then I find out as I grow older that you know, he was just the ultimate soldier. I find out that he had been shot down in helicopter missions multiple times. And he was awarded multiple Purple Hearts for going above and beyond the call of duty and risking his own life for others. Because of being shot down in the helicopter, he went through multiple surgeries throughout his life. His back and his knees uh, were always giving him trouble. He rarely could sleep through the night because he would wake up in, in cold sweats, having nightmares about all of the atrocities that he had seen. And just a few years ago, my uncle passed away again from complications, complications of Agent Orange, which had ravaged his body and caused all sorts of cancer, etc. I was with him not long before he passed away and you know, he'd really shrunk at that point to a much, just a shell of himself and asked me for help with almost everything, which I was eager to do, knowing how much he loved me and had done so much for me. And then in the bigger picture, how much he had done for his country, for my country. So Memorial Day hits home, right? It's very personal for me uh, because I have a brother in the military, because I have an uncle who made the ultimate sacrifice in the long run for my freedom. So for me, Memorial Day has this really rich double meaning. There is that gratitude that I feel for, for the people who have given everything for my freedom. And there is one who has given everything for not just my freedom while I live on this earth, but freedom from the tyranny of sin and death for eternity. That's my savior, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, which was my salvation and your salvation, endured all of that torture and the pain and the death, and then busted out of the grave, right? So that we could be free from the tyranny of sin and death and self that so easily entangles and ensnares us all the time. That's worth remembering. You know, we celebrate Memorial Day once a year, a national holiday. Quite honestly, we, we ought to celebrate more often considering the price that has been paid for our freedom. But Jesus established a memorial when Jesus was sitting around the table with his disciples. They were just having a common meal, right? And Jesus takes elements from the table, which were common elements, which were there at all the meals. It wouldn't have stood out as anything special or unusual to his disciples. And he takes bread and he breaks it. And he says to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it, remember what I've done for you. They had no context for that. They had no idea what was coming. And so they're like, okay, whatever. And they eat the bread, all right? And then Jesus takes the cup of wine and he said, this is a new covenant, a new, I'm starting something new here. A covenant that is signed and sealed with my blood and the wine represents that. 
And he said, so as often as you drink this wine, you drink this cup, and you eat this bread, remember what I've done for you. As often as you eat the bread, bread, drink of the cup. Remember what Christ has done. I love that. Common meal, common elements. So easier for us to forget what has been done on our behalf and, and by whom and, and for what and why. And so Jesus institutes a memorial, a memorial service for us. And, and we've turned it into a ceremonial thing. And now, of course, you can get communion in hermetically sealed cups where the wafer, which is cardboard perhaps, is sealed to the cup and you peel it off and it's all high tech. <laughs> and we've made it into something that Jesus didn't do. He just, he said, hey, when you eat bread, when you take a drink, remember me. And then he creates this metaphor, right? That my body, Jesus' body, is bread that's broken, torn apart so that you might be whole. In Jesus' own torture, he's providing healing for us. And he wanted us to know that every time we eat a piece of bread. And he said, my blood, like wine, is poured out for you. Spilt, the blood is spilt for the forgiveness of your sins. Healing for your body, forgiveness of your sins. Don't forget, every time you eat bread, take a drink. Just remember. Remember what Jesus has done. The sacrifice that he made, not for his benefit, but for ours. So what do we do with all that, right? What do you do with this amazingly good news? And that puts good, that, that's the understatement of the year, this good news. And I've come across a few quotes uh, that I would like to leave with you, not just to entice your brain and make you think, oh, that's really good, I should write that down, but as a call to action, because faith without works is dead. So let Jesus' death and resurrection and forgiveness and mercy and grace be a call to action. And here's this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. If a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. <laughs> There's a challenge, right? What is that for you? What is that for me? Here's another quote. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. So live your life in such a way that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. It's important to have a clear picture of how you wish your life has been when you reach the last day of your life. Listen to that again. It's important to have a clear picture of how you wish your life had been or has been when you reach that last day of your life. We've talked about it before, that that little dash between the year you were born and the year that you die, that's on every tombstone, every gravestone, the year you were born, dash, the year that you die, that is the gift that God has given each of us, the mortal life that we live. That's not all there is, there is eternal life ahead, but he's given us this gift of mortal life so that we could just enjoy, yes and no. The Westminster Confession boiled down life like this. The chief purpose, the chief end of man, is to know God and to enjoy him forever. The chief purpose, the chief reason we're even here is to know God and to enjoy him forever. 
But if we know God, it's not going to be just about us, right? As God has demonstrated that he laid down his life while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not even just a matter of doing good deeds for those who can say thank you or for or forgiving those who say they're sorry. It's way beyond that. If we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we're going to love unconditionally. No strings attached because we know we have been forgiven so much and so freely we've received, freely we can give. <laughs> wow. Our God is slow to anger, full of grace, full of mercy, eager to pour out grace and mercy and love and sustenance and forgiveness to us, demonstrated through his son, Jesus Christ, <laughs> who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself even to the point of becoming a man, and then even further to being flogged publicly, stripped naked, beaten to where he was unrecognizable, when he had all the power to stop it at any second. But he paid the ultimate price so that we would have admission into God's kingdom, that we would be adopted into God's family. Hmm. So I guess all I could say is, don't give up. Every time you eat a piece of bread, and it's everywhere, and maybe you're gluten-free and you don't eat bread at all, pick something else that you do eat on a regular basis. When every time you take a drink, whether it's wine or juice or water, remember what Christ has done for you. I'll leave you with this illustration. I once heard this amazingly powerful story from Brennan Manning. He's an author. He was a, a Jesuit priest or something like that. And he too was in the service when he was a young man. In fact, he and his best friend joined the service together. And they were over in the war and one morning while they were eating around the campfire, uh, a live grenade was thrown into the campsite from who knows where, from the tree line or whatever. And without thinking, without hesitating, Brendan Manning's best friend, his childhood friend, jumps up and he dives onto the grenade, covering it with his belly, and it goes off, blows him to the smithereens, kills him instantly, but saved everybody else in the camp. And of course, Brendan Manning's devastated and because of his relationship with the family it was his job to fly back home and tell his friend's mother what had happened and Brendan Manning as you can understand would be extremely distraught not only for his own loss but for having to let his best friend's mom know that she had to bury her own son which is just so unnatural and so hard to even imagine and Brennan Manning, while he's, he's explaining this, he says he was just sobbing uncontrollably and, and the mother of his friend is consoling him. And Brennan Manning's asking the question, I, we never had a, a talk towards the end. I mean, we were so busy with all of our duties. We were just doing what we had to do to survive. We hadn't really talked. We hadn't had a hard, hard talk for so long. How, how do I know that, that he loved me? How, how do I know? And his mother says, Brennan. And she had this thick New York accent. She says, what more could he have done for you? What more could he have done for you? The sacrifice that Brennan Manning's 
best friend made to save his life was making him feel guilty that he had survived and that he hadn't done that. And his mom saying, no, that is the ultimate act of love. That is the proof of how much he loved you. And would he want you to live the rest of your life in guilt or grief? No, he did that so that you could live your life to the fullest and become the best version of you possible and share this story and share the gospel with countless souls. And Brennan Manning went on to be a prolific author and speaker. And of course, it is a perfect representation when we feel, does God really love me? But here's the question, what more could he had done for us? What more could he had done for you? He took the grenade for us so that we could live in mourning and grief or regret or feeling like guilty. No, 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 that's not at all. Jesus did that so that we could live life to the full. He said in his own words, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. I've come to give you joy so that your joy would be full to overflowing. So when we think of Jesus' death, when we remember what he did, that his body was ripped apart for us so that we could be healed, that his blood was poured out, that we could be forgiven, it's not to have some sense of guilt. It's to be guilt-free and to know that what more could he have done for us? God loves me that much that he freed me from the bondage of sin and selfishness and ego so that I could become the best possible version of myself as a thank you, right, to the God who made me to be all of those things. There's the challenge. Go in peace to love, to serve the Lord, to know God and to enjoy him every moment. So let me leave you with this challenge again. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice as you are ushered into the presence of the God who loves you so much. And I can't stress how important it is to have a clear picture of how you wish your life has been when you reach the last day of your life. Go and live that life in the power and the grace and the sustenance and the forgiveness and the mercy and the love of the God who is love. If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, Act now. Thank you for tuning in.